0: Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, I am a fixer by nature, a problem solver. Not sure if you're like that or not. Like, I believe in the vanilla ice theology. If you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. I know way many lyrics to that song still in my life. Uh, And yes, I did just start my sermon with a vanilla ice reference. If you don't know who vanilla ice is, just YouTube him. Uh, If you don't know what YouTube is, ask a junior hire while they're looking at vanilla ice on YouTube. They'll show you. Uh, But I digress. I'm a fixer by nature. I'm a problem uh, solver. And and what this has caused conflict in my life, even in my marriage. Because what I've learned is this, that sometimes Sabrina will tell me about a problem she's having and surprise, she does not want me to give a solution, she just wants to share it. Be careful where you say amen in a sermon, by the way. That's hard for this fixer brain to compute. And so she'll tell me about a problem she's having with someone or something and I instinctively burst into problem solver mode. I give her a solution to the problem and sometimes she'll just look at me or she'll keep on talking about the problem. In my mind, I'm thinking, first of all, why didn't you say thank you for the obviously brilliant solution I just gave to your problem? And second of all, I gave you a solution, why are you still talking about the problem? But even a bigger hit to my ego is is this, that really, most of the time, I can't solve the problem. I don't have the solution. And here's why I bring up being a problem solver, giving solutions today. Because so often in life, in our humanity, we really do struggle to relate to and to serve people who are going through suffering because we think we need to offer a solution. We need to give an answer for their suffering. And if we can't give an answer or provide a solution, then we believe we don't have anything to offer. But that's not true. And today, as we continue our sermon series called, When God Disappears, I want to talk about how we can serve those who are going through suffering in life. If you don't know who I am, by the way, I'm not nearly as cool as Vanilla Ice, but I am the lead pastor here. My name is is Jeff Maness, and I'm so glad uh, that all of you are here with us on this Father's Day. So happy Father's Day uh, to all of the dads out there. I also know, though, that there might be some people uh, you've lost a father, or maybe as a dad, you've lost uh, a child, uh, or maybe you didn't have a good dad in your life growing up. He wasn't present for you. And so while uh, Father's Day is a day, Day of celebration and honoring our dads. It's also a day of grief um, and sadness for some. Just want to acknowledge that. Let you know we're standing with you. We love you, and we're praying for you uh, on this day that can be difficult for some people. I also wanted to give a quick update. A plug for our next outreach event, uh, which we are giving away free. Gas. There is a dad joke waiting to happen that I will leave alone right there, Uh, but coming up on Saturday, July 17th, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., we will be serving people by pumping gas, washing windshields, directing traffic, and through through your generosity as a congregation, we as a church are paying for all the gas that will be pumped as well. We've done gas buy-downs in the past where we have paid down the price of gas by a dollar a gallon, for a few hours uh, but this time we are paying for the entire amount of gas no matter what uh, gas costs on that day. This is a great way for us to uh, really live out our vision and for all of you to connect with the vision. Uh, We exist here to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships and make a lasting impact. And this is going to make a lasting impact as we serve people leading the way in generosity in their life. We need about 50 people uh, to serve for this event. I'm not sure where we are on sign-ups right now, uh, but to sign up, just go to our website, elementchurch.live. click on sign-ups at the top, uh, or you can go to the Next Steps wall here in the lobby if you're here in person, and you can sign up there um, as well. Okay, how about this for a transition back? If someone needs gas, the solution to their problem is easy. You just get them some, some gas. But when someone is suffering, truly suffering, For whatever reason, the solution is just not so easy. And as I said before, we often struggle to relate to and serve people who are in the midst of suffering because we believe we don't have a solution or we really don't have a solution and that's okay. In fact, here's the big idea that might help us today. What the sufferer needs is not a solution to their suffering but someone to serve them through it. Like what the sufferer needs is not always a solution. There sometimes might be a solution coming, but in the moment of suffering, a solution's not always what they need. It's someone that can serve them through it. And when I say serve them, I'm not talking about showing up at their house unannounced and cooking or cleaning for them or or whatever it is. If someone asks you to do that for them and they are are suffering by all means, uh, you can do that. But, But our serving that we need to be focused on is much deeper than even those practical level things. So here's the big question I feel like we have to answer today. How should we serve those who are suffering? If serving is the the point, how should we serve those who are suffering? I've shared my Father's Day mug with you before, uh, but my daughter, Michaela, got this for me a few years ago. I'm very thankful that she has uh, adopted my love for coffee and my love for dad jokes. Uh, The mug says this, Dad, you've always been like a father to me. Thanks, Michaela. main scripture is uh, Job 2.11. All the way through Job 31, chapter 40. But don't panic. We're not going to read all those verses, only some select ones. We will be covering kind of the scope of what happens uh, in... Job's life in those chapters. If you don't own a Bible, as always, you can download one. Uh, they're free called YouVersion on any, any app store. Um, a great church in Oklahoma provides that resource. Or if you're here in person and you want an actual hard copy, ask for one at guest services. We'll get you one before you go. If you've missed either of the first two sermons in the series, I would really encourage you to go back and watch or listen to those as we're kind of building uh, the, a foundation as we go. Just for Uh, A little recap of Job's life. Remember, Job lost all of his possessions, and he was the richest man in the entire region, we're told. He lost all 10 of his children. All 10 of his kids died in one day, and then he lost his health. In chapter 2, God allowed Satan to strike Job with boils from head to toe. Yet in the midst of of all of this suffering, Job not only maintained his integrity, his hope, and his trust in God, but he praised God in the midst of it. We looked at that last week. Now I know that for some people, the thought of, of trusting God, and especially praising God in the midst of suffering, is hard to hear. One of the reasons many people, maybe you, don't believe in God is because of those times in life where it feels like God has disappeared. And first of all, in those moments, I I, I get it. I completely understand, even as a pastor, why you might not believe in God because he allowed certain things into your life. And I, I hope you know that we love you in your unbelief. And even more important than that, I hope you know that God loves you, even in your unbelief. Amen, Christians in the room? He loves you in that. And it it might feel like God has disappeared, but friends, he hasn't. He's not disappeared. He is right there with you in The midst of it. In fact, one of the most common promises we see all through Scripture from God is this I am with you. I'm with you in the midst of your suffering. Second of all, one of the awesome parts about this message today is you don't have to believe in God in order to serve someone who is suffering in the way that I'm suggesting today. This is just good advice, no matter your belief in God or or not. So, before we dive into the scripture, let's pause, and I just want to—it's a heavy subject we're looking at in this series. Just want to ask God for for His help, Father in heaven. Um, thank you, first of all, for Your presence, and e- even when we don't feel it. We know that you're there. You are close to the brokenhearted. So, Lord, for all of us today, would you just be near to our hearts as we we read through Scripture and and talk about how we can serve those who are suffering? Lord, some of us in the room uh, aren't going through suffering, but others of us are. And so however you got to speak to each of us individually, would you please do that? And, Lord, once again, I acknowledge that my words are empty and useless without your Spirit's anointing upon them. And so we just ask, God, for your anointing for your authority, and for your power to be in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Job 2, starting in verse 11, says this. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. If you're expecting a son, great names to throw out there. Uh, when, When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Remember, what the sufferer needs is not a solution to their suffering but someone to serve them through it. So how should we serve those who are suffering? We're going to see some bad examples from Job's friends here in a bit, but they got this one right. They started good. The first thing we got to do to serve those who are suffering is this. Number one, be present. Just simply be present. Be with them in their suffering. Philip Yancey, in his book, Where is God When It Hurts, which is one of the books we're recommending as a resource. Uh, They're available in the Element Store or on Amazon, a couple of books that we're recommending. He said this, found this interesting. Jewish people practice a custom called Shiva after a death in the community. For eight days, friends, neighbors, and relatives practically take over the house of the mourning person, bringing their own fruit crates to sit on. The grieving person who desires tranquility or privacy may find the presence of so many guests irritating, but the message comes through loudly. We will not leave you alone. We will bear this pain with you. Fear, which thrives on loneliness, wilts away. Isn't that beautiful? The four most powerful words that I think any human being can hear in the midst of their difficult time is this, I am with you, or or three words, I am here. And sometimes this isn't even a proximity thing, it's just a principle thing in life, especially in the digital age where we can now connect with people without having to be in physical proximity. Like, I can't tell you how many times in my own life I've reached out to my friend Todd here at the church. Outside of my own family, Todd's the person I'm closest to in life. And so many times I'll be facing some kind of difficulty in my my life. Nothing like Job faced for sure. Nothing like many of you are are facing now. But but suffering nonetheless. And almost every time I reach out to him via a text, I don't get a solution in return. I get a statement in return. And the statement is just this. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. And I know that he is. I know he's standing with me as my friend in my problem and and pain. And I try to do the same for, for him as well. And I know that if he could fix the problem I was facing, he would. But we both know that most of the time there isn't a solution to what we're going through. So he just says what needs to be said. I'm with you. I'm with you. Now when we are able to as people be in physical proximity, physical presence with someone. We absolutely should, but we're not always able to do that. Joseph Bailey is a man who lost three sons at various times in his life. He wrote about the grief of losing, walking through the grief of losing children by saying this, I was sitting, this was after one of his sons had died, I was sitting torn by grief, Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Just the presence alone. was enough. You see, the goal of being present is simply that. To be present. Nothing expected from the sufferer. No thank you. No confession. Nothing expected from the person being there. No no solution needed. I, I would also, I would challenge those of us When we go through suffering, I would challenge those of you who are in the midst of suffering to allow this kind of presence in your life. You need it. Please don't suffer in isolation. This is why community and and small groups are so important. They are vital to the life of us as believers. We are not meant to do life alone, and we definitely are not meant to suffer alone. Like, we, we need more than Sunday morning. We need more than this. Like, this is great. I, I love Sunday morning. This is a necessity. It, being together in person like this for, for worship and for, for the word and for caring for one another. This is important. It's, it's vital to our spiritual life. But this is not enough. If this is all the Christian community you are receiving in a week, you are anemic at best in your spiritual life. You need community to walk with you through life. Like this needs to spill over into coffee shops, businesses, offices, and schools. This needs to spill over into our small groups and our communities so that none of us have to walk through suffering alone. You see, more often than not, God will reveal his presence to us through the proximity of his people. But if you're unwilling to be in community with God's people, you might miss out on his presence. We need community, especially for seasons of suffering. So Job's friends, they started out serving Job well. For seven days, they sat and said nothing. I don't know about you, but that's hard to do in good times for me, let alone bad, seven days. They just offered their presence. And then Job in chapter three breaks the silence. Job shares his heart. He, he grieves in front of his friends. He reveals his, his innermost parts to them, his hurt, his pain, his suffering, his anger, his questions, his doubts. He, he bears his soul to, to his friends. He cries out about his condition. Job 3, 24 through 26, he, he ends with, with this. I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Ever been there before? Some of you have. And I don't think, after Job bared his soul to his friends, I don't think he expected what happened next. He didn't ask for a response from them. He didn't pose any questions for them to answer. Yes, he posed questions in his his crying out, but he wasn't looking for an answer from them. He just needed to get some things off of his chest. And how did his friends respond? How would they serve him now? Well, Job cries out, and Job 4, 1 and 2, Eliphaz, his friend, responds, then Eliphaz, the Temanite, replied to Job, will you be patient? Like, let this sink in. Will you be patient and let me say a word? For who could keep from speaking out? And for the next 27 chapters through chapter 31, Job's friends stop being present and start losing their patience with Job. Remember, what the sufferer needs is, is not a solution to their suffering. They need someone to serve them as they walk through it. So how should we serve those who are suffering? Just be present. I am with you. Second thing I think we we learn now negatively from Job's friends is this, we need to be patient. We gotta be patient. Again, for 27 chapters, all the way through chapter 31, some of the chapters, Job is responding. So it's not all his friends, but they stop being present and start offering solutions. They, they start giving Job reasons why he's probably suffering. And some of the things they said were true. Like You read what they said. If you, I would encourage you to read all of it when you, when you have time on your own. Some of the things they said were true. They were, they were true statements, but they weren't helpful. There's a difference, right? You can say something true without being helpful. We teach our children that, don't we? So Timothy Keller, in his book that we recommend in the store, he said this, Job's friends say many things about God that are true in the abstract. They say in the end all evil will be judged, and God is pleased with the righteous, and God is not unjust or unfair, and we can't understand God's ways. They are beyond our puny minds. Yes, All true statements, and yet Job calls them miserable comforters in Job 16, verse 2. And in the end, if you go to chapter 42, God condemns the friends for how they respond to Job. Why? They gave true statements, but applied these truths inappropriately. Sometimes you might have the true thing to say, but should keep your mouth shut especially when we're talking to those who are suffering. Which is why we must be patient with the sufferer. What we have to say might be true but unhelpful. Old Testament theologian Francis Anderson said, true words can be thin medicine for those in the depths of suffering. True words can be thin medicine. So Job's friends, they, they did say some true things, but they said some not so true things and not helpful things as well, which can be even more damaging when we start unleashing untrue things to people in suffering. I'll give three examples, one from each of the friends uh, in these chapters. Job 4, verse 8, Eliphaz said this, My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. So in other words, Job, you did something to earn that. That's more of a karma theology, by the way, than a Christian one. Uh, Bildad said this, Job 8, 4, Your children must have sinned against God, so their punishment was well-deserved. deserved That would get you punched in my home. (laughs) I ain't lying. Like, can you imagine saying that to someone whose child died? They deserved it. Job 11, verse 6, Zophar said this, Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. Worse things should have happened to you, Job. They threw the book at him for 26 chapters. They said horrible things about Job, horrible things about God. They lost their patience and couldn't keep from speaking. And I know that brings up questions, at least for it does for me and maybe for you. Okay, you might ask, well, how long should we be patient with those who are are suffering? And the answer, as long as we have to. As long as we have to. We're patient with those who are suffering. And instead of looking at some things that I think we should say, I'm going to give us some things we shouldn't say. These are things that I commonly hear. I've used some of them myself in my own life, and I'm trying not to. But these are common things we say, even in Christianity, especially in Christianity, that some of them might even be true in part, but not helpful in the moment. So here's some things we shouldn't say. The first one is this. Shouldn't you be over this by now? It's time to move on. Not helpful to someone who's suffering. Sure, we, we don't wanna see people, you know, waste away in isolation, refusing help in their life, but, but the pain, the grief, the suffering that some things in life cause may never go away. You may never be over it. Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament actually says this. Lamentations 3, verse 20. I read this last week, uh, using it differently for last week's sermon. Uh, Jeremiah, speaking of his suffering, says this, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Just be careful in how quickly you're pushing someone to get over something that they might actually not ever be truly over. Here's another one. This might be the most common one I hear in Christianity. Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true, by the way. It's found nowhere in the Bible. You will not find it, and yet people say it all the stinking time. God will never give you more than you can handle. I like, really? Have you lived life for more than 10 minutes? Right? Like the Bible does say that God will not allow us to be tempted to sin more than we can endure because he will always provide a way of escape. So the emphasis is on God's ability to open a door so that we don't have to give in to sin. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that God never allows in our life more than we can handle. Because here's the truth. If God never gave us or allowed in our life more than we could handle in our own strength, why would we need God? but because we do face things beyond our ability to endure and handle, God's strength becomes the hero of the story, not me. The Apostle Paul speaks of this, 2 Corinthians 1, verses eight and nine. In the New Testament, Paul said, "'We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, "'about the trouble we went through "'in the province of Asia. "'We were crushed and overwhelmed "'beyond our ability to endure.'" It was more than we could handle. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result of the thing we couldn't handle, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, oh, by the way, who raises the dead. So when I go through something in my life I can't handle on my own, it actually gives me an opportunity to put my hope and strength in the God who raises the dead. And he gets me through it, not in my strength, but in his. So God will often allow us to go through things we can't handle on our own. So we should stop saying that to people and point them to the one who can get them through. Here's another one. There's a purpose in all of this. Might be true, but probably unhelpful when someone's going through suffering. And we don't know if there's a purpose for it. We don't know. I can't see the spiritual realm, neither can you. Job, I don't know if Job ever learned that there was any purpose for his suffering, but now us looking back, was there a purpose? Hello, we're still being taught about it. Thousands of years later, but in the moment, it's just not helpful. God does not always have a purpose for our suffering, but there is always a purpose in it, and the purpose in our suffering is to bring glory to God. That's always our purpose. In good times and bad, may God receive the glory, but there may not be a purpose for it. That's just not helpful. Helpful. This one is often used when someone loses a loved one. Well, they're in a better place. Might be true, often unhelpful. Because the person who is left behind might agree, yes, they're in a better place, but I'm not. I'm I'm grieving. I'm broken. So true statement, but maybe unhelpful. Then the last one, hear this all the time. God's trying to teach you something. No duh. How come we never, ever, ever say that to someone when they are receiving a blessing from God? When things are good, we're not telling people we should learn something. We're gloating over the good thing. When things are bad, we pull out that one. Oh, God's trying to teach you something. True, he might be unhelpful. So we need to be patient in even offering true statements that that could be thin medicine to sufferers, and again, I've been guilty of of probably all those at some point. Job's friends serve as a great example of what not to do when someone's suffering. Philip Yancey said this, in a context of intense suffering, even well-intentioned comments may produce a harmful effect. One sufferer said, it hurts far worse when Christians give me judgmental comments based on their pet formulas of why God allows suffering. Perhaps the chief contribution a Christian can make is to keep people from suffering for the wrong reasons, hence by what we say. Maybe just keep our words to ourselves sometimes. He goes on to say this, perhaps the greatest way to give suffering people time is being patient with them, giving them room to doubt, cry, question, and work out strong and often extreme emotions. So what the sufferer needs is not a solution. They need someone to serve them through it. So how should we serve those who are suffering? Be present, I am with you. Great words to say. Be patient, I'm with you for as long as it takes. I'm with you. And then let them express their hurts, their fears, their doubts, their anger, their frustration, their questions, maybe with no rebuttal back. Just let let them get it off. Their chest. Then lastly, I think we should be productive in our serving. Be productive. If you read Job, which I encourage you to do it, you'll notice I never registered this until preparing for the sermon. It's not recorded at least that his friends ever offered Job anything except bad advice at the wrong time. Like he lost everything in life. And apparently they didn't even offer to provide anything for him. They never asked what he needed, never asked what he wanted, nothing. Just bad advice. So when we enter into someone's suffering, it's just a challenge reminder for me that we make sure we are serving them in a productive way without being intrusive or a burden to them. Find out what they need. Find out what they want. Never assume anything from someone who's suffering and then remain patient when they may not know what they need or know what they want. If they say, if you ask them, what do you need? And they say nothing, just let that be. I've, I've never gone through extreme suffering in life. But I would have to imagine the question, what do you need, is pretty hard to answer when you're in the midst of suffering. I'll never forget a funeral I went to for another pastor. His death was completely unexpected, a shock to everyone who knew him. At his funeral, his son, who was also a pastor, spoke from the pulpit at the funeral. He and his dad were tight. They were very close and he was broken. He was suffering. He was overwhelmed with grief. And from the pulpit of the the church where his dad pastored, through his sobbing, he said, people keep asking me, what do I want? What do I, what do I need? And almost in in anger and frustration, you you could feel that the grief, the sorrow, the hurt, the pain, in a loud voice slamming his hand on the pulpit, he cried out, I need my dad back. It, it wrecked me. It's forever etched in my brain. All he knew he needed was his dad. And Ain't nobody was bringing him back. So be patient. When you ask the sufferer, what do you need? You might get a response like that, and that's okay. Let him say it, and just say, I'm with you. As long as you need, I'm, I'm with you. Most often, the sufferer has people in life who know what they need. They're, they're providing it for him or finding people to do it. What I've found is often just a card with the words, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you, and I'm with you, is enough. Oftentimes it's enough. Sure, there are some practical things that could be done for someone and when it's appropriate, for sure, do it. But really, it's not about how you care for someone who's suffering, it's that you care for the person who's suffering. Philip Yancey, last thing I'll share from his book, said this, pain is the very mechanism that forces me to stop what I'm doing and pay attention to the hurting member. It makes me stop playing basketball if I sprain my ankle, change my shoes if they're too tight, go to the doctor if my stomach keeps hurting. In short, the healthiest body is the one that feels the pain of its weakest parts. In the same way, we members of Christ's body, the church, should learn to attend to the pains of the rest of the body. In so doing, we become an incarnation of Christ's risen body. Isn't that awesome. So we're going to do that today. If you're here and you are someone who's in the midst of suffering of any kind. You're hurting. And please don't let the devil get his lies rooted into your heart that this moment's not for you because your suffering's not as bad as someone else's. If you're going through suffering, I just want to symbolically as a church say we're with you and pray for you, but I'm going to ask you to do something to stand out. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're here, you're facing suffering, hurt, pain of any kind. I just want you to stand where you are. If you're unable to stand and you want to lift your hand up in recognition, you can do that too. See ya. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm with you for as long as it takes. And I'm praying for you. And here's what we're going to do. I know it's often very hard for the sufferer to be the one standing. So we're gonna stand for you. So if you're seated, I want you to stand. If you're standing, I want you to sit and we're gonna stand for you. If you're standing, if you're suffering, I want you to go ahead and sit back down. If you're the one that was suffering, everybody else is gonna stand up. And by standing with our brothers and sisters, we are saying to every seated member of the body, we are with you, amen church? we're with you. As long as it takes, we're with you. So I wanna pray for you. If you're around somebody who's seated and can stretch out a hand towards them to pray and you're comfortable doing that, please do that. If you know them and are willing to put a hand on them, I would ask you to do that. Um, but if you don't know them, I would just caution you on doing that as well. Lord, let's, let's pray. Lord, I have come before you in the name of Jesus. My heart grieves for those who are hurting. And I know, Jesus, that you know that hurt intimately. And we're asking you, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, to intercede for your church today, to intercede for the body. We need your help, God. We need your help. And so would you flood hearts with hope and healing and life and peace. And Lord, we're not not offering any solution today other than your presence with us. So Lord, would you descend upon these hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated if you're standing. I wish there was a pill that took her away, but there's not. So as a pastor, as a friend, as a family member, all I can offer, I'm with you, I'm with you. And more than that, our God, Emmanuel, He is with us. I pray that gives some hope today. If you need prayer for something, maybe this brought something to the surface, Uh, we got a great prayer team. They meet in the back at the purple tent there, and they'll stay as long as needed to pray for whatever you got going on. If you're watching online, you want to email us, call us, text us, stop by the office through the week, we'll be glad to pray for you. Reach out on social media. We're always praying for those requests uh, that come in. I know we kinda ended on a downer here, but um, I am so thankful for all the dads in the house. Happy Father's Day to all of you. I pray this message isn't just for this moment, but that it continues on in our lives, spilling over into our community. I love you guys so much. It's my honor to be your pastor. Have a great week, you're dismissed. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.